one of you that has found your way into the house of God. How many of you know you serve a God that is deserving of your praise and your worship? Oh, that sounds a little bit weak. That sounds a little bit weak. Is there anyone here that believes in the Lord? Recognizes he's worthy of your praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We had a, a wonderful time here yesterday with the marriage ministry in the first session of this year. We're excited about what God is doing, and we're looking forward to that which is to come. For those that were here, have First Lady come out here. For those that were here on yesterday, we were given a homework assignment that we were supposed to practice all through the day and night, just at varying moments. So... You need to find your couple because this is a moment for your practice. Hallelujah. Sometimes you, you, it didn't look like anybody moved. You got, you got to find your loved one and, and give them the gaze. Give him that gaze. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Get lost in the beauty of them eyes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Young folk, I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to teach you something. Hallelujah. You'll know how real somebody is when they'll look right in your eyeball. Make eyeball to eyeball contact with you. You can maybe believe some of the stuff they say. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But we thank the Lord. We had a great time, and we're looking forward to that which is to come. Men, we're looking forward to Saturday. Uh, this is the first time this year we'll be getting together. We must do better. Hallelujah. We must do better. It's important that we take time to invest in each other, to support each other, to speak into each other's life, to uh, you know, understand where each of us are at. Amen? It's good to uh, hear Brother Tony on the drums this morning. Hallelujah. Throw, throwing down on the wood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, when I was in the sound room, I, I asked, I said, because well, I, I know beats and rhythms and how people play, and I knew it wasn't BJ playing. And I said, who's on the drums? And Leah said, it's some old guy. So once you put on African attire, you grow in age and wisdom. Amen, amen. And I came out looking, wondering who's playing the drums. Make sure they fill with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And sure enough, I said, that's Tony on the drums over there. Hallelujah. But it's good to see each of you here in the household of faith. We, we like to have fun and enjoy each other. Amen? Hallelujah. The church has been uh, under attack. The church has been under attack. Specifically, 
this church, there are many that are absent because they're sick in body. There's been an onslaught of the enemy against the physical body. Um, some of us have been infected uh, in the physical man. Some of us are infected in our mentality. Some of us are infected in our spirit. Some of us are infected in our attitude or emotions as they would. But I want you to look at your neighbor and make this declaration. My days of sickness are over. I believe the enemy has been trying to prevent me from delivering a word that takes away one of the tools or weapons of his warfare. One of the weapons of the enemy's warfare against the body of Christ is the physical, spiritual, mental, psychological attack against the body of Christ. I spent some time fasting and praying and talking with God, and God gave me some insight into the original design of mankind. And I asked God why so many in the body of Christ were sick. I was tormented myself with physical sickness uh, just two weeks ago. But I've noticed that there are those in the body of Christ that have addictions of the mind, body, and spirit. And I ask this because of what God was revealing to me about the crown of his creation. You and I are the crown of God's creation. God gave me a mandate and he told me that there would be days when this word needed to be given and released to his people because there are many struggling. There are people now that have tuned in, that are tuning in from their sick bed, and God told me to speak into your condition so that you could take up your bed and walk. He told me that he was going to open up the door and it would be for this specific purpose because there is a healing released for his people but many of us do not understand how to access what God has already loosed into your hands. I told the Lord that I would go as he sent me and give the word as he commanded it. So here I am today, uh, prepared something else, but this is where God has taken me. I've come to today to proclaim a very wonderful truth. I don't have to be sick. I don't have to be sick. I don't have to deal with addiction. I don't have to deal with the physical ailment of the body. Over the next few moments, we're going to deal with this from the Word of God. And as we begin to stand in agreement with what God is saying to us, we will begin to see the marvelous hand of God working to heal, deliver, and set His people free. You ought to get ready, people of God, because if you grab a hold of this word that I'm going to release into the atmosphere of your life, this very word will change not only your life, but your climate, your atmosphere, your territory, and those that are around you. There's a misconception in the body of Christ about physical sickness, and this misconception has placed us in a delusional state of being and it's affected our ability to identify with the true state of our healing and our liberation in the body of Christ from sickness in the natural body in which we are housed. 
I was in meditation with God and he began speaking to me about the current state of physical sickness in the people of God today. And God told me his people do not have to be sick. Look at your neighbor and tell them again, I don't have to be sick. Now, you ought to say it again with some Jesus authority, some conviction in your heart that what you're saying is a true statement with an understanding that God is revealing something to you right now. You ought to get some grit in, the, in your craw or some attitude, let some emotions go right now and just declare, I don't have to be sick. You ought to get mad at the condition in your body and just begin to tell yourself, I don't have to be sick. I don't have to feel like this. I don't have to think like this. I don't have to deal with this. I'm a child of God. See y'all trying to get me excited. I began to listen to the voice of God and he made something very clear and plain to me about the truth of his word. And as I began to read his word, a wow factor set in. It was as if the words on the pages began to leap from the paper. And there was a stirring in my soul as God began to show me some of his purpose in my life and the life of every believer. What amazing things are written in God's holy word. As a matter of fact, if you ever get a chance, you ought to really go get this book called the Bible. And you'll be flabbergasted at the things that you will find in it. It's better than just a good book. It's a number one seller. It will do more than just move your emotions, ignite your passions, titillate your thinking. It will put you in the very presence of God himself. I began to rejoice about this revelation from God that I didn't have to be sick anymore. Uh, and I began to ask myself, as I talked to God, are you trying to tell me that the common cold is really not common for a believer? Uh, are you trying to tell me that I don't have to worry about the flu or about the coronavirus or about the very possibility of contracting uh, any disease that has affected the body? I don't have to worry about all those hereditary health issues that I've been uh, told are passed down from generation to generation in my family. You know, those historical family questions that you answer on the questionnaire that your doctor gives you when you go visit him or her in the hospital or in the doctor's office that they say you are susceptible to. You mean I don't even have to worry about the hereditary breakdown in the fabric of my DNA? I don't have to give in to what the doctors say about my health or my mental state. I don't have to agree with the cravings of the natural body which have caused so much disease and death. I don't have to succumb to the demons and devils trying to afflict my mind and torment my body. God said, no, you don't. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, God said, no, you don't. The problem is, is we've allowed ourselves to think, listen to this, we have allowed ourselves and conditioned our minds to think it is natural for us to be sick when in actuality it is unnatural when we come to the knowledge of Christ 
to endure sickness. All of our lives, we have been conditioned to think that sickness is just a part of living. We're going to get sick. If my mother and father had some condition, then I'm going to get that condition. If my mother and father died from some condition, then I'm going to die from that very same condition. The doctors tell us these things. Our family members tell us these things. And it seems history supports this type or line of thinking. But God told me that his children do not have to be sick any longer. God said he is pouring out of his spirit on your flesh and we don't have to be sick any longer. And the truth of the matter is we did not have to be sick from the day that we were born again in Jesus' blood, washed in that blood and made whole by the works of Christ at Calvary. God told me to tell you it is time to adjust your thinking, unlearn what you've learned and stop looking at the wrong lineage. We believe some of the things we believe because of the lineage that we are connected to. And don't even realize that after the knowledge of Christ, your earthly lineage was supplanted by the lineage of Jesus Christ. Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, the third through the seventh reads like this. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Now it's important before we begin to examine this foundational principle uh, that this lesson today is based upon, I have to first take you back to the beginning where it all started and progress through this teaching until we arrive at our destination. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going somewhere today. It's important that we understand how to approach Scripture. And the most important element of your understanding of the Scripture is that the Scripture is alive. It is a living word. It's not a compilation of stories that just happened in the past, but it is something that is still occurring right now. And as you advance into your tomorrows, the word of God is still advancing with you. It's important that we understand that when we go to the word of God, we don't go to the word of God to find out what it has said, we need to know what it is saying right now. I need to understand what God is saying to me today, not what he said to David and Goliath so many thousands of years ago. You see, if you look at David and Goliath, it's really a good story. 
It's a wonderful story. But it really does nothing for me unless when I face the Goliaths in my life, I know that God can stand with me and work that thing through me. Understanding the story itself is not even about stones, but it's about the slaying of the giants that are present in my life right now. When I read the story of the three Hebrew boys, it's a wonderful story, but it doesn't really help me unless I understand that when it gets hot in my life, when I get to the place where I'm into the furnace of my own affliction, that the same God that jumped in the fire with the three Hebrew boys is the same God that is still jumping into fires and will get into the fire of my life with me right now. So that when I come out of the furnace, I can come out of that furnace smelling like I ain't never seen fire. When I read about the woman with the issue of blood, when I read about her, it's important to understand that uh, the issue of blood is a good story. The healing of her body is a good story. The touching of the hem of his garment is a good story. But unless when I am afflicted in my body... That same hem is just within my grasp, so when I reach out to touch it, I can find that Jesus is reaching out and touching me. Because the word is alive, I understand that every time I read the word, I can be ministered to differently depending on the condition of my current crisis. As my crisis change the word of God adapts itself to deal with the dilemma that I'm in today. It does me no good to give me the same regurgitation of deliverance from another uh, dilemma if it's not effective and uh, purposely designed to deal with my dilemma right now. Amen. The Bible tells us that man does not live by bread alone, but by the word which is proceeding out of the mouth of God. Understanding the true meaning of Deuteronomy 8 and 3 is that man is living on what is proceeding out of the mouth of God. So if we look at the Hebrew word kalmosa, uh, you'll find that it is a derivative of two words, kal, which is a verb meaning to make complete or to perfect, and mosa, which is a noun meaning the act of going out. So this word comes from the verb yatsa, meaning to go forth. So we see then that the word is still moving out of the mouth of God. It's not talking about something that was said. It is talking about something that's being said right now. Since that word has been planted in me by the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, then when the word proceeds out of my mouth, it doesn't come out dead. It doesn't come out lacking power. But it comes out alive and full of power. And it has to accomplish the thing whereto I send it. And after redirecting our thought life and returning it to what it was supposed to be according to God's determination for man in the beginning when God first breathed into man the breath of life, we will begin to find a most wonderful truth. Like any good investigation or examination, we have to go to the start 
or to the source or, or to where the thing itself begins to understand and comprehend the thing that we are actually investigating. We cannot start in the middle or jump to the end and work backwards because we will find much of the information that we gather will have to be altered or our hypothesis will have to change because of the revelation of new information from which preceded the knowledge that we had when we made our decision in the first place. Some of us have accepted something because we lack the knowledge necessary to accept something different. Let's go to the book of Genesis. 1, 26 and 27. And it says like this, and God said, who's talking? God, talk to me. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Move on over to the second chapter of the book of Genesis, the seventh verse, and you'll find that it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Jump on down to the 21st to the 25th verse of the same second chapter, and you'll find that it says, And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Understand this point once and for all, people of God. Nobody was created by accident. Not one person was created by accident. You weren't created through some primordial ooze due to the happenstance of molecules passing by and then bumping into one another. Man was created by God's word. And woman was formed out of that very creation of God. Let me make it plain as my... Uh, pre, pre, uh, predecessor teacher, Dr. Quanda L. Wilson would say so eloquently, we were created by design. Amen. You ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor you were created on purpose. With a purpose. Because God designed you to look like him. Every atom Every molecule, every proton, every neutron, every electron, your genome, your DNA, and every basic element that makes up human life came into being by his 
word. You did not evolve from a monkey. You were created on purpose for the pleasure and glory of God. God spoke and the power of his word formed and created man. There is no question in my mind where I come from. There's no question in my mind how I came to be and whose breath it is that flows through my lungs. I was created by God as a man full of his glory, given dominion, authority, and power. I'm not weak because God has made me strong. I'm not alone because God is always with me. I'm not stupid because his spirit teaches me. I'm a child of God created in his image and after his likeness. I'm a member of the royal family. I'm a citizen in a great kingdom. I'm an heir of Christ. I am that I am because I am dwells in me. If you believe that same thing about yourself, you ought to give God some praise right now. Understanding who you are is key and foundational to you to, for you to function in the gifts, the talents, and the anointings connected to your identity. Amen. See, too many of us are confused. We've had our identity stolen from us. When I don't know who I am, I, I cannot know what I am capable of or what authority I have or what resources that I possess. You wonder why some men can't believe they were born a certain way. They were born, uh, they, they, they suppose they were born opposite of what they are. There's a sickness that has corrupted the very truth of their existence. Their mentality has been infiltrated with a spirit whose only purpose is to rewrite their original genetic coding. I know who I am. I'm a man bought with a price, full of God's very own glory that he may be revealed in me. I am who God has made me to be. I'm a bishop in the gospel, a preacher in my own right, a son of the living God. I am the very manifestation of God in the earth as I died in baptism and what came out of the water wasn't me. It was a vessel which now holds the excellency of the power of God that no man can boast. In the life I now live, I live through Jesus. I died in Jesus is alive in me when you get this revelation no one will be able to stop you from giving God glory in every situation in every circumstance in every place you won't be scared to proclaim the name of the living God because you know who you are I'll sing it from the rooftop I'll declare it in the grocery store I'll speak it in the mall I'll stand on the street corner if man in prison me for speaking the truth then from a prison cell I shall declare the works of the Lord you got to understand something prior to the creation of man God held a very special meeting and out of that meeting came the creation of man out of that meeting, God decided that he was going to make something in the order of creation that was greater than everything else he had created. So man is born. This is the first birth. 
It's this birth that we are created in his own image. No other created thing was created in the image of God. Only man is created in the image of God. Watch this. You have to understand what this means. God is perfect. So then when God created man, he created man just like himself. Perfect. This, of course, refers to our original creation. When God first created man, man was created just like God. Created imperfection created without flaw or defect whatsoever we had a perfect body we had a perfect mind we had perfect health we had perfect intelligence man knew no sickness man knew no disease man knew no accident and we had no inability to learn we experienced no pain we endured no suffering we sensed no alienation no emptiness was our portion. We were never in a state of loneliness. We never shed a tear of sadness. We did not endure sorrow or grief. And above all, we were free of sin and corruption, free to live forever and never die. God is light, full of glory and brilliance. So then we too in our creation are clothed with his glory. God is holy, sinless and righteous, pure and moral. We too were created holy, sinless, righteous, pure and moral. A distinctive creation unlike everything else that had been created. God is love. So we too were created as creatures of love. God is a spirit that lives eternally. We too were created as spirits, immortal beings who will live forever in one place or another. Now take these two next words and write them down somewhere with their definitions. Because it's important that you get this. The first word is chaos. Chaos, a state of utter confusion or disorder, a total lack of organization or order. It's a state of utter confusion or disorder. The second word is seed. S-E-E-D. The propagative or reproductive source of anything. It's the propagative or reproductive source of anything. So Genesis 1 tells us in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So God wants to see himself reflected in his creation. 
God did not move over the face of the dirt because he can't see himself when there is no reflection. But rather he moves over the face of the water because he could see the reflection of himself in the water. It serves no purpose to be God and no one know about it. Creation is in a state of chaos by design. Chaos is a part of God's creation. It's important that you get this. You ought to look at the things around you and you will see nothing left to itself moves to order, but everything moves towards chaos. If you look at children, children left to themselves will not move towards good behavior, but they will move towards mischief. You will find that if you don't cut your grass, grass never cuts itself. It will grow until it chokes itself out. God has built chaos into the universe. There is a purpose to the chaos in your life. This is done to show that order is not a random thing, but order is a purposeful thing. Order doesn't just happen, but there has to be some intelligence behind the authority that's causing order to come into chaos. This in turn then allows us to come to the realization that something of a lesser order cannot move or organize itself into a higher order. So now when you see order, you are able to surmise that the force has been exercised over the chaos. Something greater than the chaos came to establish order in the midst of the chaos so the chaos ceases to be and the reflection of God is then established. When I look at myself, I see an organism of functioning, organized molecules working together and in precision. I understand then that I did not just occur or come to being randomly or by some accident, but there was a force enacted upon chaos which gave birth to me. This drives me then to search out the source behind that very force. I am reminded that man is an ordered being. Man is not a beast of the field, which is all flesh and no spirit. Man is not an angel, which is all spirit and no flesh. Man is a being that actually lives in two distinct realms of being and as a class of being is greater than the beast of the field and greater than the angels. Uh, Psalm 8 and 3 through 5 says, When I consider thy heavens, uh, the work of thy fingers, uh, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, uh, and crowned him with glory and honor. Now how written is not actually a correct interpretation 
or translation of the original text because the true translation from the Hebrew text says mean Elohim meaning taken right out of God or just under God so this is who we are when God said let us make man in our image after our likeness God was showing man to be the crowning glory of his creation the being that embraces all the dignity and nobility of the mind of God the being that towers high and far above every other created thing the being that was purposed to master and control all of his creation and was given phenomenal powers and authority and a mentality to do what he was created to do You were created to have dominion. You were created to have power. You were created to exercise all of that in the chaos of life. God does this for a reason. But to understand, you have to understand worship to fully understand what God is doing. Because if I'm going to worship anything, then I have to find something to worship that is greater than me. So I, I have to find the source of the force that brought order to my molecules and brought life to my being. I bow down, but I worship up. You see, I can't worship the beast of the field because I'm greater than the beast of the field. I can't worship the stars because I'm greater than the stars. I can't worship the sun and the moon because I'm greater than they are. I can't worship angels because I'm higher in the order of creation than these things. I can't worship man because man is at my same level. But when I I look up all I see is what is higher than me and that is God and God alone so my worship goes to God you got to understand your identity look at your name and tell your neighbor know who you are As a matter of fact if you examine the word of God you'll find every time an angel came on the scene and man would try to bow to the angel. The angel would say, ah, oh, don't you bow to me. Don't you worship me because even the angels understand the order of creation and where we are in the pecking order. So here comes then the fall of Adam, which causes the original creation of man to become corrupt. And during this fall of all creation, it changes because of the judgment of God against the sin of Adam. So here enters a turn from perfection into imperfection. The issue at heart here is this. During this time, the hearts and minds of mankind began to change due to the influences of Satan. Satan started in the garden with Eve and eventually moves to Adam. But he has continued throughout time influencing mankind's 
mind. The true battlefield is in the minds of men over the hearts of men. The first element of destruction is to not know your identity. Yes, Adam fell and sin enters the world, but we have a great hope and assurance through Jesus that we are no longer estranged from our God, but rather God has reinstated our true heritage through Jesus, his son, thus reestablishing the connection to our original identity in him. Second Peter 1 and 4 says it like this, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature is your original nature. So you're a partaker of the divine nature. Watch this, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I was lost in my identity, but because of Jesus, I have been reestablished in right relationship and therefore reconnected to my divine nature. I'm not under the order or power of my human or carnal nature, but I am under my divine mandate from God to establish order in chaos. So Jesus Christ is the Messiah of the divine nature or the new man. So we have to take note of these words. Exceeding great and precious promises have been given to us. The promises are those that have to do with the divine nature of God. The divine nature that is planted within the heart of us who believe in Jesus Christ. It becomes very easy to trick you when you don't know what you or who you are. When you don't understand your nature, the enemy can cause you to believe that you are less than what you are. So you have to understand that from Genesis, the seed of everything is in itself. So when God made man from the dust of the earth, he could not see his reflection or his reflection was not reproduced until he breathed into man the breath of life. This allowed the seed of God to be planted in the man. You ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor this. The first thing you need to know is the seed of God is in you. So after the seed of God is planted in man, the word says man becomes a living soul. Understand, man did not come to do, man came to be. It's important you understand this. Man did not come to do, man came to to be. Uh, God calls us to be strong. He doesn't tell you to get strong. God tells us that the, to be holy. He does not tell you to go get holy. Man came to be what God is, not to do. Hallelujah. So the seed of a thing 
has to reproduce after its kind. I teach this everywhere I go, that the seed of a thing has to reproduce after its kind. So when there is disorder, disorder is what is reproduced. When there is doubt, doubt is what is reproduced. You have to understand your fruitlessness is based on your faithfulness. We see Adam failed in his faithfulness to God when he sinned. And this caused a chain reaction that affected his ability to be fruitful. And it then transfers to the whole of creation because Adam is the seed of man. So when you believe in Jesus Christ, God sends the Holy Ghost to dwell within you. God places within your heart, mind, and spirit his divine nature, and it makes you a new creation and a new man. You are actually born again spiritually. You will actually become a partaker of the divine nature of God through the presence of God's Holy Spirit. You cannot of yourself return to that which is holy and perfect perfect in your flesh your flesh is enmity against God in other words it is diametrically opposed to everything that God is so you cannot in yourself come to God God releases his spirit in your life and that spirit draws you back to the divine nature or back to who you are supposed to be It's because of this reestablishing of your true nature in creation through Jesus that you escape the corruption or the judgment of God that is in the world. You will live eternally for the divine nature of God can never die. When it is time for you to depart this life quicker than the blink of an eye, your spirit is transferred into heaven, into the very presence of God himself. Then since we have escaped this corruption that has infiltrated our minds through the fall of Adam, through the process of the rebirth, then we have become free from the constraints of the natural man, for we are no longer bound in the weakness of the flesh but are empowered by the Holy Ghost to bring glory to God through the works of God functioning through us in this life John says it like this Jesus answered and said unto him verily verily I say unto thee except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of God Nicodemus saith unto him how can a man be born when he is old, can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is 
is spirit. So Jesus is teaching us the necessity that we be born again or remade in such a fashion that the flesh no longer has dominion over us, but rather our dominion is reestablished in the spirit, which is a reflection of God as he breathed into God the breath of life, causing man to become a living soul or a living spirit. God takes the essence of who he is and releases it into the creation of man. Prior to this, man is a lifeless and dead being. It's just formed from the dust of the earth. It's not moving. It's not breathing. It's not living. So that tells me that when Christ ain't in my life, I'm dead. Even if you're moving, you're dead. Even if you're breathing, you're dead. Because only Jesus Jesus is life. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We must become a new creation in Christ. All things have to pass away, and all things have to become new. This is not just in the actions of man, but inclusive of the nature of man. Because your nature is what sits behind your um, mentality. Your nature is what sits behind what causes you to move. Your nature is what sits behind what makes you say what you say and do what you do. So there has to be a change in the nature of man if the life of man is going to change. Colossians 3 and 10 and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So our knowledge has to be renewed in him. When you see R-E preceding a word, it shows that something has already been done, but is being done again. This reaffirms for me that what I was in creation and lost in creation has been restored to me right now. It's not a read that I'm going to get when I get to glory. It's a read that I enjoy in this present life. Amen. Our knowledge is renewed in him. So what was stolen from us, our very identity in the creator, is now being put back into our thinking, our understanding, our wisdom, and our knowledge. So we are now returning to a state of dominion. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, I, I have dominion. So if I was a surgeon and I entered the operating room all suited up and ready to go, but I have forgotten that I was a surgeon, only knowing that I was in the operating room, I would be standing around waiting for, I don't know, the surgeon to enter the room. While everyone else in the room 
the patient, the nurses, and the orderlies are staring at me, waiting for me to proceed with the surgery because the surgeon which is I, has already entered the room when I came in. But if I do not understand who I am in Christ, we cannot be free in our natural body. Jesus came to make us free so we can again see our true heritage in him. Who is your mother? Who is your father? Who is your brother? Who is your sister? Only those who do the will of the Father in heaven, they are your brethren. But if I recognize that I am the surgeon, then I can move in my skill and operate. But when I don't know that I'm a surgeon, even though I am the surgeon, I am frozen and kept from moving in what I am conditioned to do. Many of the people that are in the body of Christ have accepted their destination of glory, but has not realized that God is not so much concerned about where you're going as much as he is about what you're living right now. We constantly talk about getting to heaven, but the kingdom of God is alive right now in the earth and you have the ability to function as a kingdom citizen, which means you have the right to exercise who you are because of the kingdom you belong. Heaven is not the kingdom that you're going to in the future. It's the kingdom that you're in right now. That means I have right now access to everything that's afforded a kingdom citizen. It's not something that I'm waiting to get. It's something I have right now. Herein lies the problem with our thinking. I'm going to tell you where the break is. Ephesians 4 and 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, watch this, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. You are alienated from God. You're understanding is darkened. See, many of us are not free because we are ignorant of the true knowledge of who we are in Christ. Because we're ignorant of our true nature in Christ. Now, the, the word ignorant, it, it's a 14th century word, which simply means destitute of knowledge or lacking knowledge or comprehension of a specific or specified thing. So let me set things right with us by the power of God. First and foremost, stop listening to the devil as he attempts to define you uh, based on your history. Remember, a history is only reflective of the person that is telling the story or better described his story. 
and his story may not be your history. Let, 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 me, let me say it like this. John 8 and 44 says, and he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. So when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. So everything the devil has told you from the foundation of your understanding has been a lie. He's a deceiver of men, a seducer of your heart. He has one goal. He wants to destroy your body, your soul, and your spirit. He wants to block your thinking. Because he understands that if you begin to understand who you are, you will realize that he truly is beneath you. You see, we, we look at the devil as this powerful, angelic being that was corrupted by his pride, but he's got a whole lot of power. He's got a whole lot of influence. And we look at him as if he is above our level. In his original creation, he was created as a cherub or a higher order of the angelic host, which seated, sat around the throne room of God, and his purpose was to reflect the glory of it. You ever wonder why the devil hates you so much? Because what he can now no longer do, you have been built to do. You got to understand, see, when... When Lucifer, you got to understand, you got to look at the order of things. Lucifer, prior to the creation of man, was created with the sole purpose to uh, reflect into all creation the very glory and light of God. He's created in such a fashion that the very uh, uh, um, makeup of his being produces the reflection of God, of his glory, into all creation. He falls. He gets caught up in pride. He falls. He tries to rebel. He's kicked out of heaven. He's sent to the earth. This is prior to the creation of man. So then here comes man. And God says, I need my reflection produced in creation. So what the devil used to do, you now do. In essence, you supplanted his position of greatness because nothing else in creation has the ability to reflect the glory or the image of God. So you now can do what he used to be able to do but can no longer do. So what does he do? Because you have been created reflective by nature you are reflective by nature the very part of what makes you who you are is reflective you have the ability to reflect that's why children look like parents because you are reflective by nature spiritually and physically so every time the devil sees you he sees a reflection of God
So he tries to corrupt the reflection by making you reflect something other than God. And then everything goes awry in your life when you begin to reflect the things of the enemy. Why? Because the enemy is less than you. You get all messed up because you're trying to reflect something that is less than you. The devil is less than you. He's not greater than you. He's a cherub. And a fallen cherub at that. But in the order of creation, we were made a little lower than God. The original text, Elohim. We were made a little lower than God. When they transposed the writing into the English language, they were afraid to use the actual text because of what the connotation behind it is. But we are not lower than the angelic host. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the angelic host, it peers into the life of man because it does not understand the process of redemption because the angels cannot be redeemed. That means you have stuff that even the angels don't have. Yeah, we think the angels all, you know, they're wonderful. They, they flying around. They got swords of fire, and they doing all this wonderful stuff and, you know, working all these miracles, taking out whole cities and all this kind of stuff, and that's beneath you. That's less than you. That's why you can never worship them because they are a lesser being than you. If you understood who you were in Christ, you would realize that everything the angelic host can do, you can do. And then some. They are an old model. You are a different model. You're more than an upgrade. Because an upgrade says we are connected, that somehow we're the same. But we are not the same as the angelic host. So I'm more than an upgrade. I'm a whole different thing. That's why what I can enjoy, the angelic host cannot enjoy. The plan of salvation. The work of redemption. You see, God did not send Jesus to die for the angels. There's a third of the angelic host that are waiting the judgment of God, and there is no salvation for them. That's why demons and devils are mad at you. Because where they see you have fallen, because you're not the same as they are, God has established redemption for you, but no redemption for them. So they want to torment you while they can. Here in, oh, the time is going. Herein lies the truth. See, let me just, I, I, I'm, I'm going to just 
pause after this, but I want you to see this. See, this is where the truth lies. I haven't even gotten to the, to the meat of this yet. Romans 8 and 11. But if the spirit of man, the, of the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal, that's this body, by his spirit that dwelleth in you. He will quicken your physical body because of the indwelling presence of his spirit in you. Now, this passage speaks of not only what is to come, but what is being done in you right now. The spirit of Christ quickens the mortal body in the future, in the great day of redemption, when the corruptible puts on incorruption and the mortal puts on immortality and we become as he is. But there's something that we have to understand. There is something God is doing in us right now. The word quicken comes from the Greek word zupoesi. And it means to make alive or to give life, to cause to live, to renew and remake life. So when uh, we see that we are being made alive through Jesus Christ, uh, he did not stop at just causing us to live. He returns or remakes or reconnects us to our true heritage. It's not enough for you to just live if you're living outside of your potential. This is what the word says. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified also together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So as you look at this text, you'll find that the word adopt, it's a 15th century word from the Middle English that is a transitive verb or a word of action, which means to take by choice into a relationship. Adopt. It's a taking of relationship with something else by choice. Now there are very, there are two very uh, significant points. I'll leave you with these points and then I'll stop for today. First, the spirit of God delivers or sets us free from a terrible spirit. That terrible spirit is identified as the spirit of bondage. But before we can understand freedom, we have to truly understand what bondage is. Bondage is another 14th century word from the Middle English meaning servitude or subjugation to a person or controlling power. 
Now note what the bondage is. It is called or referred to fear. Fear is an unpleasant and often strong emotion caused by anticipation or an awareness of danger. So we have been seized by the bondage of fear, usually experiencing apprehension, anxiety, and tension, dread, alarm, or terror. We have been sensing some subjection, some enslavement to some form of fear. But the one spirit with which all men are familiar is the spirit of fear the Holy Spirit has delivered you from the bondage of fear by adoption or right relationship with God so if I am bound in fear and fear functions when danger is present and I don't understand who I am then when danger presents itself because I've lost my identity I respond as a slave I don't respond in the freedom that I have in Christ Jesus what is a slave a slave is one who does what its master commands. And if your master is fear, then you cower to danger. But the Spirit of God has delivered me from bondage to fear. So now that I'm in, back in right relationship with God by his choice, I have access into his presence. We have access to God because we have been adopted as sons or daughters of God. If you look in this passage of scripture, you'll see that the spirit is called the spirit of adoption. Adoption is such a significant work of the Holy Spirit that it is called the spirit of adoption. The Holy Ghost is called the spirit of adoption. You see, we have the, we've been taught through the years that you have to tarry for the Holy Ghost as if you have to earn or work uh, to get the Holy Ghost. You're on your knees, you're foaming at the mouth, boogers coming out your nose, and the old, the old saints would tell you you didn't have the Holy Ghost until you did all this kind of stuff. But you have to understand, people of God, that the Spirit of God is made manifest in your life by choice. Why? Because He has adopted you. He came after you. He tarried for you. He laid his life down for you. To restore you to right relationship with him. He did the work. So the, the Bible declares we receive then the spirit of adoption. And the wisdom or the consciousness or the awareness of the knowledge of God that we are the children of God. And we are the children of God with the privileges of sonship or heirship, especially the privilege of access, of entering God's presence at any time and in any place. It is a wonderful privilege that enables us to break the bondage of fear and to conquer the spirit of fear. No matter what faces us in this day, we are able to enter the presence of God, to lay our fear before God, to cry out to God 
Abba, Father, help me to know that God will help us for God loves his adopted children. So then I'm not enslaved to respond as a slave, but I'm free. You know, there are certain people in our society, I'm just going to stop right here. There are certain people in our society that aren't afraid to go or to be, to be pulled over by the police because they think because of who they are, they're going to get over. And truth be told, in many cases, that's what happens. They get over because of who they are. Everyone knows current news. Harvey Weinstein. Powerful man in, in Hollywood. Powerful man. And at last I heard, unless this has changed, the jury is deadlocked on the two most egregious charges in his trial. They're deadlocked. Now, some would say that the struggle really isn't over the charge, but over who he is. Because many of us would believe that if he had been like some of us, his trial would have been short. It would have already been decided, and he'd already be doing time if he was like us in this culture and climate. So that tells me then that who you are has a lot to do with how life engages you. Who you are has a lot to do with not only how life engages you, but how you engage life. Because of who I am, when life says a thing, I understand I have authority to be diametrically opposed to the thing being said and the authority and power to say a new thing that supplants or reduces or condemns the original thing said about me. That's why when the doctor says, you're sick, I can say, I am well and in good health in my body, prospering even as my soul prospers in the Lord. Why can my body prosper? It prospers because it houses my soul and my soul prospers because it houses the very presence of God and because the creator is in me. My body has to reflect what is true. But some of us like to be sick. Because when we're sick, we get what? We get sympathy. You get, get the hugs. You get the cuddles. 
you get taken care of, you get waited on hand and foot, amen, they're always checking on you, you're made to feel special. You know why I don't like to be sick? Because in the Life's Half household, you got a 24-hour clock on sympathy. And then after that is, you know who you are. Now get out to bed and get back to work and do what you're supposed to be doing. That's why it's dangerous to preach stuff like this. Because I'm like everybody else. I love a little bit of, you know, sympathy every once in a while. But my wife, what she tell you, you got 24 hours. I think last week I got an additional 24 hours just because she loved me so much. But after that, it was like, look, we got stuff to do. You need to get some stuff done around the house, and you need to get back to work. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But many of us, we like to be in that condition because we are made comfortable in that condition, just like a baby fighting being potty trained will go hide and poop on themselves because they're bound to fear of sitting on something that's made to benefit them, but they're scared of it. They'll sit to where they're super uncomfortable, rash and everything, before they even tell you, hide from you. They would rather deal with that pain than the unknown. But watch this. When you know who you are in Christ, you realize there is no unknown because you're connected to he that knows all things. So then I'm not afraid of where I'm going. If the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, then I don't have any fear about the next steps that I'm going to take because I'm following the order and direction of God. And if I'm following his order and direction, then where I'm going is going to be good for me because his word declares, I have plans for you not to kill you, not to beat you, not to cause you to suffer, but my plans for you are to cause you to prosper and be in good health. So then I'm not afraid of where I'm going. So then I'll go sit on the little potty. Because I know it's not going to do anything to hurt me. It's only going to make me better. And as I become better, I have access to do other things. As I continue to grow, I have greater access because my understanding is now no longer darkened. And this is what the enemy does. He doesn't want you to know who you are because the moment you begin to understand who you are, you'll understand that not only is he not on the same level as you, not only is he beneath you or underneath your feet, as the word says, stomp the devil because he's under your feet. Someone wrote a song about it. Put the devil under your feet. But if you begin to understand who you are, you realize you can exercise God in every dilemma. That means when you speak a thing, it's not you speaking, but it is the power, the authority of God speaking into your crisis. 
It is God talking. And when God talks, the Bible declares that every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, it shall not return to God void. So if you become then, because you understand your identity in him, that it is not you that is speaking, but it is God that is speaking. If God is speaking and his word cannot fail him, it cannot return to him void. But the Bible declares that his word has to return in prosperous ways. It has to come back to him prospering in the thing whereto it was sent. This is why as the children of God, you got to watch what you say. Here's the problem. You keep telling everybody you're sick and then you're frustrated because you are what you have declared. Because there's power in the very thing that you say. So what you say becomes a seed that is planted in your life and it has to reproduce. After it's gone. So as you sow that seed, as you sow that seed, watch this. You sow one seed, but that one seed becomes multiplied into much fruitfulness. It's just fruit you don't like. So if you don't like the fruit, start sowing a different seed. I don't have to repeat what the doctor says. The doctor is speaking from its earthly wisdom. When I speak, I have to speak from the wisdom of God or the word of God. So the things I say cannot be reflective of what man says. It has to be reflective of what God says so that when I speak in the place of God in my crisis, I can command order to be established in my chaos. Understanding that I have died and it is Christ that is alive in me. Now watch this. I am able to do these things. Why? Because it brings glory to the Father. The disciples asked Jesus, are you going to show us the Father? He said, how long have I been with you? Have you not seen the Father? By reflection of the things I've done and the things that I've said, everything I do is a reflection of the Father. When you see me, you have seen the Father. And when you see the Father, you have seen me. Now watch this. If I am connected to Christ, I am dead and buried and then alive in Christ, when you see me, you have seen the Father. When you hear me, you hear the Father. Some of you will get that at midnight. You've got to understand your identity in Christ because it is that understanding that unlocks all of your potential to do what God commanded you to do as he reconnected you to your original nature which is a reflection of him and that command of God was to have dominion in this life not in the life to come 
in this life right here. You are supposed to be living as a dominion heir. That's what you're supposed to be living as. A dominion heir. You're supposed to be power walking. You are supposed to be God talking. You are supposed to be the healing of God in action. You are supposed to be a walking, working, living miracle of God. You're supposed to be a speaking entity, the voice of God himself. This is your original nature. You aren't just reflective because we look like him. It's more than just look like. like it, I look like my father, but my father and I were not the same in behavior. Uh, so I had a limited level of reflection of my daddy. But when I understand who I am in Christ, I realize then that the reflective nature of my creation, uh, being reflective of God, it's not just an outward thing. It is an inward Thing. I am reflective of God in all that God is. That's why I'm not worried about sin. Because the moment I came to the knowledge of God and accepted him, and I died, and now Jesus lives in me, I'm reflective of his holiness. And my sin has been dealt with. I am not a sinner to call myself a sinner. I am the redeemed of the Lord. And because I'm the redeemed of the Lord, I'm not subject to the condemnation that is in the world. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. I am subject to the bounty and the blessing of the obedience of Christ. You have to understand who you are. I, I, I got to stop. I, I, gotta, I keep saying I'm going to stop and I keep going. You got to understand who you are. You got to understand who you are. It's the key to your success. I haven't even gotten into the reasons why you don't have to be sick yet. We're just now talking about who we are. Because I can't give you the meat of the word of God if you don't understand the milk. You got to understand the milk before you can enjoy the meat. Otherwise, the meat will make you sick. It might taste good going down, but because it don't have anything in there to break it down, uh, you get all sick and, and, and your tummy get messed up. You got to understand who you are. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor you got to understand who you are. Because the moment you understand who you are, you'll stop being who you are. The moment you understand who you are, you'll stop being who you are. Most of us don't act like who we are. We act like who we ain't. Is you is or is you ain't my baby? We don't know where we're coming or going. But the moment you know who you are, You begin to see things differently. You'll begin to enjoy things differently. And the power that they say is not in the church will begin to be revealed and manifest in your life.
the power has not been revealed in the church because the church has lost its identity. And we've started to do things man's way rather than doing things God's way. And the moment we started to reflect man, we got to enjoy what man is capable of. And that's why churches fail. That's why churches divide. That's why people can't get along with each other. That's why churches crumble, close up, and die. Simply because we cease to reflect who God is and we started reflecting who man is. And man is corrupt. But oh, if we begin to reflect God. If we begin to reflect God. You're talking about Holy Ghost filled, fire anointed, baptized services. Whew. Come in the door, sickness fall off, demons fall off. Walk by folk, they just get well, your shadow touch them because you're so anointed. Just feel better because you're in the presence of God. But it all starts with understanding who you are in Christ. I'll get into the reasons for the not having to be sick next week and how we can combat this attack against the body, how we can live in utter health. There are things that we can do. God is very descriptive in his word so that you can live this life. You've got to understand, the average age of a man now is between 70 and 80. But the word of God says man should live 125 years. So if I'm not living to 125, should the Lord's coming not come before that, then I'm not living to the fullness of the promises of God. I'm shorting myself. 